joining us for the first time hello it's great to have you don't forget if you're tuning in from your desk or on public transport make sure you've got your headphones on because there are going to be adult themes and strong language from the start i'm frankie cookney and joining me in the conversation is my husband rob today we're discussing dating tips from the 1930s how to delay ejaculation and whether the female condom is making a comeback We have the last sexy Olympics update, a question about sexual fantasies, and some hot pillow talk about erogenous zones. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get started. Let's do it. How to make love to a woman, brackets, in the 1930s. In the 1930s? Yes. So actually, could you introduce that in a 1930s radio voice? I reckon you've got one up your sleeve. Yeah, I think I do, yeah. How to make love to a woman in the 1930s. So this was an article in The Independent this week. Um, It's all taken from... um, so basically, it's, it's summarising the content of a book called How to Make Love by a man called Hugh Morris, about whom little is known other than the fact that he wrote How to Make Love and also The Art of Kissing. The Art of Kissing. And basically, The Independent have summarised what's in the book, and it's quite hilarious. Did you read any of these? No, I have not. Okay, well, I shall enlighten you. Yeah, go on. So it starts off quite well. He's not a fan of love at first sight. He thinks that's a preposterous notion. He says... I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, exactly. So he says, A hair-trigger emotion such as love at first sight can only be possessed by people with hair-trigger temperaments. Ooh, burn. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's the worst thing you can say about somebody before uh, the modern era in which, um, you know, a hair trigger sort of short attention span is essentially the norm. It starts off quite well. And I sort of thought, oh, Hugh Hugh Morris, I I feel perhaps we could be on the same page with this. I also don't believe in love at first sight. I think that is, as you rightly point out, a preposterous notion. Well, when are we going to hear about how to make love to a woman? Okay, well, disclaimer... Making love in the 30s did not mean having sex. No, it meant like wooing, It meant wooing, yeah, it meant dating, basically. Uh, Um, So it's a little disappointing. Luckily for us, Hugh Morris gets pretty quickly into dodgy ground when he says things like, There is a difference in the attitude of man and woman toward the culmination of love. Woman, although she is just as anxious for love as man, good that he acknowledged that. Yeah, she's anxious. Yeah, Yeah. but she must never betray her anxiety. I mean, none of us want to betray our anxiety, do we, really? Is it her anxiety a euphemism for something? I think it just means like her desperation. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, none of us really want to... uh, We are anxious for love, love meaning either love or sex, depending on... What you're after I think he's talking about moment. sex in this context, isn't he? I think so too. Grey yeah, area. He, he talked Grey about area. The, he, he, said, he mentioned the culmination. Ah, uh, the culmination of love is undoubtedly sex. <laughs> right, yeah. She must never betray her anxiety. It goes downhill from here. She must always be passive. Man, mm-hmm. it is who must be the active partner. It is he who makes love to woman. He's dispensed with the uh, article now. Yeah. It's just woman. Woman. Man, <laughs> man do this. Man, make woman love to woman. Receive that. Yeah. He chases the woman who was made to be chased. What? I mean, that's very saucy. It's Benny Hill, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? 
The success of love depends entirely on the understanding of this basic relationship, i.e. man as chaser, woman as recipient of chase. Yeah. Yeah. We're already in, on dodgy ground here, aren't we, Hugh Morris? What do you think? Yeah. I think Hugh's got a lot to learn about modern women. I wonder how much he got laid. You know what? I would think um, a surprising amount. In the 1930s, if you wrote a guide on how to woo women, you, right. I would think you'd probably be quite popular with women. And yeah, because people then would know that, you know, you couldn't possibly be re- releasing a book like that unless you had some Oh, Hugh, you sly dog. Surely, he, yeah, exactly. Surely he'd be a renowned cat. <laughs> but you say that in American accent. I don't think, what's the British version of a renowned cat? A, a renowned cad. That's that's just a, a renowned cad with um, a Lothario. You know, just clip vowels. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, it's not ideal that he's just saying that a woman's role is to be passive, but it gets worse. So this is discussing what a man should do if he finds himself in a position where he might be able to at last plant a kiss on the succulent lips of his beloved. Maybe that's the culmination. Naturally, the first thing he should do is to arrange it so that the girl is seated against the arm of the sofa while he is at her side doesn't say this but i think we have to assume you need to be in a room where there's a sofa i think he probably should have said that actually you can't kiss unless there's a sofa there needs to be a sofa chaise longue yeah, mm, I'm not sure she's long would cut it unless it's got a particularly high back, back. to it. Yeah, well, they normally do. Because so it does could... say that she needs to be seated against the arm of the sofa. Right. A bench will not do. Mm. I mean, I suppose a How bench a against a wall. Yeah, bench <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> would be all right. Well, at a pub. That's, that seems perfectly yeah. likely, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? In this way, she cannot edge away from him. Ooh, Hugh. I know, it's gone... It's gone a bit wrong, hasn't it? It's gone badly downhill. It's all getting a bit... It's getting really uncomfortable, actually, at this point. (laughs) She cannot edge away from Mm. him. In this way, she cannot edge away from him when he becomes serious in his attentions. (sighs) If she flinches, makes an outcry, and tries to get up from the sofa, don't worry. Mm. I think worry. I think start to worry around that point. Uh, And just mainly stop. Yeah. So, all right, what next? Hold her, gently but firmly, and all her fears with kind, reassuring words... I think it means allay her fears. I don't know if that's a typo by the independent or whether the book said it wrong. I think it means allay her fears with kind, reassuring words. That's a bit vague. Isn't it? What would the kind, reassuring words be? Shh. Yeah. (laughs) On the plus side, the final, the sort of parting note from Hugh Morris is that if a girl starts to sort of become violent and the example given is scratching his face to try and get away from her, at which point you've got to think she is in fear for her fucking life. Or she's just not that into you mate oh, you know it, she's scratching your face in a desperate bid to escape it's just maybe so horrible i'm really glad i don't live in the 1930s and it's never gonna happen what me living in the no. 1930s yeah. no that is impossible at this yeah. point yeah it's like that time when you realize you could never be a world war ii fighter pilot yes anyway so if a girl does start to cr- scratch at your face hugh morris says start to get yourself out of a bad situation much like your date is trying to do yeah such girls are not to be trifled with or kissed. <laughs> Obviously not, yeah. I would I would go as far as to suggest that perhaps such girls in this context could be expanded to all girls. All girls. All women. Yeah. yeah. And, and not to be trifled with or all what was women. Or, or, or kissed. kissed. Yeah, well, without their explicit invitation. Yeah. Yes means yes, folks. Yeah. Flinching, making an outcry, trying to get up from the sofa, or scratching your face, all definite <laughs> signs of non consent. I would say. I, I think I've probably definitely experienced all of those signs, barring the scratching of the face, the last resort. <laughs> really? You've Actually. tried to give 
kiss girls and they flinched or tried to get up from the sofa? Yeah, probably, when I was a teenager. And what did you do? Actually, do you know what? That's probably not true. I don't think I've gone for the lunge without knowing the lunge was going to be successful. Right. It's more I've just tried to pull girls and they've not been into it when I was, like, in my teens. What, so you've just been, like, flirting? Yeah, or, like, seriously angling for a kiss. Conversationally sort of being like, oh, I think you're really pretty, meh, meh, meh. And they just get up from the sofa. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or flinch. But they do... <laughs> Crucially, they did not scratch my face. And I think that's a victory. Yeah, no, no, no. I've never scratched anyone's face. I mean, you know, without it being like part of the game. Never met Hugh Morris. Hey, we've got one last sexy Olympic story. Even though the Olympics have now finished, we've got one final sexy Olympic story. And that is Usain Bolt and the sex selfie. Or, uh, multiple sort of paparazzi slash sel- and selfie. Was there? Um, I think there was just one girl that he hooked up with who took selfies and posted them, wasn't Yes, there? that's true, yeah. Yeah, J.D. Duarte. You say the name I have here. With, I'm not sure. We, You know, that's, that's a very loaded term that I'm not sure Usain... Bolt's lawyers would be... The son said they were snuggled up, so... That means nothing. Well, exactly, neither just hooked up. I just finished reading Peggy Orenstein's Girls and Sex, and she describes at length the fact that hooked up can mean anything from just having a snog and, like, a little mini-grope to full sex. Yeah, among teenagers, maybe. I think adults, you say hooked up. What do you think it means in Brazil? What do you think the word would be? I don't know. And what do you think it means in Jamaica? Embocado. We can't possibly imagine that, you know, if we're discussing the difference between what hooked up means in the UK versus America we can't possibly begin to imagine what that might mean culturally in Brazil and or Jamaica there's not really an awful lot to say about this except for I sort of get where she was coming from I think if I was hooking up with Usain Bolt I might be tempted to get a selfie just to prove it happened I don't think I'd post it on the internet I think I might just show my friends like yeah later on or keep it for a rainy day he has um, a fiance doesn't he or at least a serious girlfriend yeah in Jamaica there's a well, because I read, oh, and it, it transpires he has a girlfriend. And that things like that always irritate me because I think you don't know anything about their relationship. She might be totally fine with it. Yeah, she might be. Also, she might not be fine with it. But, you know, every relationship is unique and people sort of make allowances for each other. You know, if if you were an Olympic athlete... Sorry, I didn't mean to collapse into giggle. I could be an Olympic athlete. <laughs> if you were in, let's Table say, tennis or <laughs> something... <laughs> Probably not even if that. If you were an Olympic athlete... Shooting, shooting. Have you ever shot a gun? Well, no, but... <laughs> what, you feel like that's something you could just do? I'm just saying that's probably the only thing I can think of where you can be relatively unfit. If you were an Olympic athlete or another profession that involved you travelling a lot, you know, let's say if you're in a band or something like that, I think it would be sensible, perhaps, to come to some sort of agreement whereby, you know, we weren't going to spend months apart from each other without there being some kind of allowances. Yeah, I think that. That, that probably makes sense. It's a little naive to go, oh, someone's got a girlfriend and assume that that means they're a cheating bastard. Yeah, and you know, yeah, as you say, they're away from each other a lot and probably lots of people want to have sex with both of them at any given moment. Yeah, so, I don't know what she looks like, but I imagine she looks she's good, pretty frankly, good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm now going to Google. Okay, she's ridiculously hot. Yeah, she's probably not short of attention, let's be honest. <laughs> been reading some tips this week on how to last longer during sex well you know i wasn't 
searching for them. But um, I came across. <laughs> it just came them. up on your Google alerts, right? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Tracy Cox's uh, sex column on the on the Mail Online website was talking about this, and I happened to see it. It's based on some research by an Australian psychologist called Dr. Brendan Zeech from the University of Queensland. The opening paragraph of the story is not very interesting. It simply says the average time most couples have sex is what? What do you think? It's five point four minutes. Yeah, but we need to clarify that, don't we? Because sex in this context is timed from the minute penetration starts until ejaculation. It says the clock started on penetration and finished immediately after ejaculation. I know, which fills the mind with all kinds of really unerotic images about couples timing themselves having sex. I'm imagining a guy in a lab coat with one of those old-fashioned stopwatches where you press a button. I think your 1930s voice will come into use again here. The clock started on penetration and finished immediately after ejaculation so yeah and it had all these tips uh, in this story about how to prolong your, your sexual encounter so first of all it says talk a lot get into the habit of telling each other exactly where you're at arousal wise she says i don't mean a clinical doctor-like discussion more along the lines of this this feels fantastic maybe a little too fantastic Okay, I mean, I'm not having sex with Alan Partridge, I hope. So you don't have to say it in that voice is what I'm saying. All right, all right, fine, fine, fine. Can can you say this feels fantastic in any other voice than an Alan Partridge voice? Yeah, I think I can. I don't think you can. This feels fantastic. Maybe a little too fantastic. Yeah, I'm still getting a hint of Partridge. There's more Mark from Peep Show there, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. Basically, you just can't say it in your own voice. She also has this numbers system that she likes to use. Oh, that sounds sexy. Tell me more about yeah, that. Yeah, right. So um, this is about how turned on you are between, you know, on a scale of one to ten. So she says, groaning out nine or delivering a curt still two <laughs> might seem odd. So wait, wait, hold up, back up. I'm assuming like one is not very aroused at all and ten is ten like, is very I'm, I'm about to come. Yeah. So what's the idea? Well... I, you know, in order to help you realise that I'm about to go over the edge, I have to be like, eight, 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 nine, nine. Right. And what am I supposed to do about that? No, kind of lay off your ministrations. <laughs> Are you sure it's not for both of you to use so that you can try and stay in sync? So that moment where we both go, seven, we're like, fuck yeah, high five, let's go. I like the her suggestion, st- still two. <laughs> still two. Three. It's just, I don't think, I think after a while, those kinds of language substitutions, after a while, they become as loaded as the words themselves. Do you know what I mean? So after a while, saying two or saying three or four is going to become as painful as saying not like that, like this, you know? Yeah, but it's going to be painful from the very beginning. Let's face it, you're you're, you're shouting out numbers. I don't know. I think we should give it a go. Why not? Mm -hmm. So uh, Tracy Cox's next suggestion is to switch stimulation regularly so that's you know things like switching positions but she she says change positions change rooms all right change the channel well she's thinking like if you're watching porn surely maybe but it seems a bit like oh i think home under the hammer is on them oh no darling i much prefer professor brian cox yeah exactly tracy cox suggests several more uh methods by which you can prolong uh, your sex but the nuclear option at the end i think is um if you think he's too close to climaxing wait me she's addressing women yeah she's yeah well i think this whole article is actually addressed to women which you only realize halfway down because of sentences like this if you think he's too close to climaxing and you're not ready yet pull down on his testicles to to decrease his chances of orgasm (laughs) i read that as well 
It's like one of those airline safety announcements. Pull down on the testicles, place over nose and mouth (laughs) and breathe normally. What's the difference between a pull on the testicles and a fondle of the testicles, though? I think you know the difference. All right, we're trying this. Fucking hell. So I did read this Tracy Cox article as well, and I I did find it reasonably funny. There were a few bits that I actually thought were quite interesting. Like you say, I think it is largely aimed at women, but I suppose that's sort of Daily Mail female readers, obviously. But there's one section where she says, if you're focused on slowing him down, you're focusing less on your pleasure. And I thought, okay, yeah, this sounds interesting. It's great for him, but not so great for you since most women need to concentrate to orgasm, which is true, obviously. But this is the part that interested me. She says, the more signposts of impending orgasm your brain can recognise, the easier it is to trigger the orgasmic response. So what she's suggesting is that if your brain recognises you doing certain things that are associated with orgasm, it's going to help get you on that track. She says, focus on what you naturally do on approach to orgasm, then exaggerate it. If you breathe Breathe heavier and faster. Breathe even heavier the next time. If you notice you tense your toes and throw your head back, do that. Get to the point where your brain thinks, ah, yeah. You know, deep, heavy breathing combined with toe flexing when she's about to orgasm. Better get cracking then and make that happen. So she's sort of suggesting that you can... You can will your orgasm to... Yeah, that you can kind of trick your body into orgasming quicker. Through sort of muscle memory almost. Yeah, exactly. And I've not ever heard that before and that's really fascinating to me. I thought that was interesting when I read this and it sort of makes sense, you know, but at the same time there's there's something about it that doesn't appeal to me, like something about the the routine, you know, that you're responding to a routine and that's what's giving you sexual pleasure as opposed to something more spontaneous or um, original. Yeah, I agree. However, I think that that idea could be really useful if you're somebody who doesn't feel that they orgasm very easily like you know practice 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 is the best way to learn how to orgasm better Mm. and easily you know not necessarily with a partner but on your own you could definitely try out things like that and see if it helps see if it works yeah and just kind of build up like you say like your muscle memory basically i think it's an interesting exercise and not one i've heard about before any listener feedback this week unfortunately oh why not uh well we do but it was it was largely the same and largely still from our friends and mainly just people saying you're really great like we don't just want to keep saying oh our friends think we're really good what we really need help with listeners if you're serious about giving us feedback is what to call our sections in a minute after listener feedback we're going to do a section where we answer a sex question we don't have a name for it come up with a name that's your job for this week listeners by the way, if you do want to uh, get in touch with us, you can find us at thesecondcircle.org. You can also tweet us at The Second Circle. How do you feel about female condoms? Yeah, I, I've literally never experienced a female condom right. in my life. Me neither. I presumed that was something that went out with the 80s. Yeah, I guess I just kind of thought that was some sort of retro thing that people used to use and no sort of self-respecting millennial <coughs> would uh, would go near it. 
like leg warmers and queen. Right. Apparently they're coming back. They're back in. Well, I imagine there's some new updated version. This is happening with lots of things. Like um, airships. There's a new uh, airship. <laughs> Guess what business journalist Rob wrote about this week? Yeah. Airships are a lot like female condoms, aren't they? Yeah. M- they're made out of synthetic material and discredited some decades ago. And yet they're having a comeback. Yeah, they're having a comeback. Have we got yeah. any other similarities in hydrogen? No. no. No, landing gear. No, all right, forget Zeppelin it. Zeppelin would maybe be a good name for a femidom. Zeppelin would be a hell of a name for a female condom brand. So there's an article in the New York Post which cited sex blogger Joellen Knott. And she actually says that the female condom is her preferred method of birth control, which is interesting. She says, the female condom has had a bad rap, but once you know how to use it correctly, it's a really superior product in terms of safety and pleasure. Why? I I need more explanation than that. When it's in place, I can't even tell it's there. Okay. And also, if you need a sort of male perspective, she was introduced to it by a male partner. Basically, she had a hookup with this guy and he was like, look, I know this is a bit weird, but are you up for trying something different? and he suggested a female condom and said this is what I like to use are you up for using it are we going to get in here into the biology of exactly where this female condom is placed because I have to admit I don't fully understand because I've never used one no and this is a limitation because I also do not really understand how the female condom works no but Wait for it. I ordered some and we're going to try them out. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, they haven't arrived yet. I'm worried they've been intercepted. I don't really have anything else to say about it because I was kind of hoping that we would, I would have read the story and then we, I would have ordered some female condoms and we would have tried them and we'd have some genuine constructive things to say, but we don't. don't so all we can say is, hmm, interesting. All we'll we get back to you. They're in the post. <laughs> Now we're on to our everyday sex questions. This is another one that I found off of the internet. This was one of the, quote, eight most common questions people ask, unquote, according to sex therapist Laura Berman. She originally wrote this article for Good Housekeeping magazine, but that must have been yonks ago because it's now been, it's now all over the internet. But I thought it was quite interesting. The question is, how do I start to share my fantasies with my partner? What do you think? I mean, it's extremely complicated and and not that complicated at the same time, isn't it? With sexuality, you have to get around the fact that it's not generally spoken about openly. But, you know, your partner is presumably the person you're best placed to be able to speak about it openly with, so... Do you want to know what Laura Berman's advice was? What did she say? (laughs) Well, she said... Have a fantasy book in the bedroom where you each write things down occasionally and then pick a time to read one out and maybe act on it. Yeah. Do you know what? I I can imagine how that might be good for people who are not easily able to have those conversations. I think that having it in the bedroom is puts a little bit of pressure on it. I sort of like the idea of there being somewhere where you can write stuff down away from your partner's eyes if you really do feel awkward about that and then sort of reading it together at a separate time. I think it's a bit long-winded for the majority of couples. Yeah, maybe. But I think if people are struggling to express their sexual desires, you know, being able to write it down actually might be quite a, a useful um tool. What about if you like emailed them to each other? That could be hot. Yeah. I, in fact, I think that's a scenario that can work quite well for people. I mean, you know, a lot of people are not able to put things into words that they 
wouldn't mind their other half reading if they weren't there. I definitely get the thing about needing to find a way to tell the other person outside of the bedroom. I always think the best time to talk about sex and stuff you want to do in the bedroom is when you're not in the bedroom, is in a neutral space. Yeah, definitely, because there's no pressure right. to then enact it immediately. Right, exactly. But you know the other person is going to register it, and it you know, for next time. Yeah, totally. Or for the first time. And I also think that when you're personally in the moment, when you're, you know, a bit aroused, when you're naked as well, and so you're like physically vulnerable, it's that's a really hard time to start opening your heart to somebody. I've always thought the best time to start talking about perhaps I'd like to do this or that, or maybe we could try this, or, oh, I've always fantasised about that, is somewhere completely removed from the sexual context. Yeah. You know, over dinner, over drinks, something like that. But I get that some people really struggle to talk about it at any point ever. It sounds like a good um, piece of therapy to me for people who are not otherwise able to discuss their sexual desires or fantasies with each other. Right. I mean, even probably just writing them down just in your own notebook, even if you're not necessarily going to share them, that would probably be a Mm. good start, wouldn't it? Then you're kind of owning them, I guess. You're acknowledging them to yourself. That's the first step. And that will kind of help you sort out which ones are just things that you want to stay in your head and which ones are things that you actually want to do. Imagine you with these kind of reams of A4 fucking notepads by your bed. (laughs) me with a little sheet of paper yeah i mean you know it's fair to say i have a healthy sort of active imagination in that in that respect do you remember that time when we were driving and i was like oh we don't have any music so i'll tell you about a fantasy i had last night instead yeah that's good 140 miles or something (laughs) yeah three hours later you were like jesus christ we need to pull over Pillow talk. I say it's pillow talk. What part of the male body do you think gets overlooked? You know, like we have sort of set ideas of what the erogenous zones are and but that doesn't always actually kind of correspond with what gets played with or, you know, what gets attention. I'm just interested to know what part of the male body do you think gets less attention than it perhaps deserves? We said the male body as if it's different in all but a few regards. And also as if it isn't different on every person. You know, people have different sort of uh, erogenous zones, don't they, that, that don't really appeal to anybody else. Yeah, that's true. I just, I suppose, you know, there. Are, when you sort of read guides to like how to touch him to turn him on kind of thing, there are certain areas that are always mentioned. I just wondered if you thought there are any areas of the body that don't often get a mention. All right, tell me what areas do get attention and I'll ter- tell you what areas... Don't get enough attention. Ah, uh, the penis. Yeah. <laughs> Place number one yeah. for, for the male. The penis and the balls obviously get some attention. The perineum gets a mention now and again, I would say. You know, thighs and torso. I've been told that men like being kissed on the neck, which isn't ever something I've really found. But that's something that comes up. Earlobes occasionally. Yeah. You've not mentioned nipples. Male nipples are underrated. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I think they probably would be on that list. That sort of, that Cosmo list of places to touch your mouth. Yeah, I think nipples would, will be yeah. on there. I just, I think they'd be like. Cosmo knows about nipples. 
nipples, Frankie, for God's sake. <laughs> I think they'd be like number eight of ten, you yeah. know? They wouldn't be high up the list. I'm always interested in uh, like upper arm and hand. Uh, You're saying upper arm and hand, but striking. what you are touching right now is your forearm. Yeah, sorry, that's what I mean, forearm and hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In in a forearm, like the kind of wrist area. Yeah, yeah, that whole. Yeah. That's nice. Like that's a really sensitive area of skin, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, skin's, the skin's really there soft quite there and uh, yeah. smooth and hands though. That's interesting. Yeah, palm. Palm of your hand. Anywhere else? What about like knee pit? You know what? Not personally, but I know that it works on me? all women. <laughs> so if you were going to turn the question back around on me, I think the knee pit would be knee pit. So, yeah. I, I mean, the funny thing about this is, I remember this being on Ally McBeal in like 1996 right? or something. I would like to state on the record that it's not where I got it. <laughs> I distinctly remember there being an episode about this. And in that episode, they were like, oh, huh, knee pit, wow. And um, at the time, I just kind of thought, oh, yes, you know, Ally McBeal, it's... Bit of Ally McBeal quirk. Yeah, it's like yeah. magical realism or whatever the fuck that was. So uh, I didn't really think that much more about it until you introduced me to it. And I was like, holy shit, what the fuck is this? Holy shit, it's the knee pit. <laughs> so yeah, that would be one thing I would say. Back um, of the neck, back of the neck. Oh, not a lot back of, women, of the that's... fucking neck. Yeah, see? Yes, yeah, do that. I think the neck is well known, but sometimes you're just on the wrong side of the neck. Front of the neck, meh. Like, that's like my epiglottis, stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't that inside Awkward. your throat? Yeah, but you know, when you swallow it, like, you know, physically, you can feel that. Side of the neck, I don't know, I find that a bit tickly. Back of the neck, now we're talking. So yeah, I mean, but I don't, I don't know if that's just me or if that's all women. I, I, I can't tell Rob whether I speak for all women or not. Do you always well, speak I mean, for all women? Obviously, you don't, but I'm sure there are there's some overlap. You probably have more overlap with most women than those of us who have a penis do. In well, terms of now some we're of getting issues. into some interesting questions well, of like gender oh, identity. Are, yeah. <laughs> Save that for next week, maybe. Say goodbye in your best 1930s radio voice. And it's good night for me, Rob Davis. The Second Circle podcast is produced by me, Frankie Cookney. If you'd like to read more about the topics we covered today, you can find all the links at thesecondcircle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Second Circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah.